I also love that it's like, what's the, what's the most popular flavor? Reese's peanut butter cup. Oh, I mean, come <laughs> He's on. Like, Everyone in the industry, if they have anything that's even close, if you have anything close <laughs> to a peanut butter cup, that is number one. <laughs> I'd love to see the candy sales. Let's take a look. You know, do you think it's the same uh, thing? Ooh, I do. I do. We're gonna do a just deep like dive on this. the echelon of candy is just peanut butter cup, and then like you know, ten everything times else. more than everything else, and then everything yeah. else. In yep. every every fat, every health food, everything. A hundred percent. I mean, what's? It's a great combination. It's it a really great combination. Is. It's a, Chocolate it's a delicious, delicious combo. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage. Look at me, pretty good. Got my name right today. <laughs> Very excited to have, as always, producer extraordinaire Sylvie LeBeau with us. Sylvie. Hello. Hello. Glad to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> We're here today. We have a great guest, Jesse Thomas, founder of Picky Bars, a fantastic triathlete, surprised himself by winning one of the most prestigious races that there is, made his way into making a direct-to-consumer product, taken off during this time when all we do is buy direct-to-consumer products. So really, really enjoyed sitting down with Jesse, and we have a great, great show for you with him, but also Sylvie. Lot going on in your world. I'm seeing packages are showing up. You got new mugs. You got weird gifts. What's happening over there? I have COVID. I have COVID. Oh I ripped that Band-Aid off real fast. I didn't you even sure build did. up to I didn't anything. expect you to do that. Uh, here nope, we are. No, here we are. Here we are, listeners. Welcome to my world of congestion and headaches. It was kind of wild, Savage, like 10 days ago. I had like a really bad sinus headache, canceled a Wistia meeting, Adam, silent Adam might remember, might recall, and uh, went to get myself tested. And then Tuesday I got the results back, oh, detected. Man. But I'm safe. I've been playing it safe. Mm. Unlike some fools out there who were playing it fast and loose and maskless. Yeah, you've been masked. So, yeah. You've been very I've safe. Been, I've been yeah. masked. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you're doing better. Yes. When I talked to you a few days ago, <laughs> you you were in dire straits. <laughs> I was I was in a loopy way. I'll yeah. tell you that. COVID confusion is real. I'm not going to say you're not loopy right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm still that is lingering. That's a lingering thing, but um I did have an interesting call with a contact tracer. Mm. That was that was pretty fascinating. And uh he asked me, we were on the phone for about an hour. Oh, wow. Not going to lie. So we went through symptoms. We went through last contacts that I'd seen. And listeners, I went on a first date right before I got the old COVID. Oh, so wow. So that was fun telling him. <laughs> yes. So nice to meet you. So nice to pandemic date you. But I have to let Might you know. Might have given you the I've flick. been hit by the pandemic and <laughs> yeah. you should be careful. But it was all good. On the contact tracing, did they do forward contact tracing or reverse? Like, did they ask you about who you could have been in contact with? Or also, did they ask you about who you could have given? Like, did they ask you about where you could have gotten it and also where you could have given it? Both. Okay. Yes. They were like, have you been in any, like, public places, like schools or nursing homes? No, 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 no. The most public place was a grocery store. And then they asked about... Yeah, people who I could have given it to, but all those folks tested negative. Thank God. That's great. And here we are. Wow. Here we are. Well, Sylvie, I'm so glad that you are doing so much better. That was Me pretty too. scary there for a minute. And uh, it's great to see your spirits up. I know you hopefully got the care package from us here at Wistia. <laughs> I got a shovel. <laughs> what? I'm going to, I got, I swear, I got a package from Wistia. I was so excited. I'd been like, Jazz to get some swag, some flippy floppies, some sweatshirts. Y'all are always rocking this cool Wistia stuff in our meetings. And I was We're like, yes. To, yeah. yeah, this is the moment. This is the moment for this Sylvie. This is the moment. I, I almost did an unboxing. So I was like, they're going to be so excited that this reached me. <laughs> I didn't do that because I was COVID-y. But I opened it and it was like, um, you know, one of those like cheap gym bags yeah, oh like yeah. that have really thin strings. Yeah, the cheapest, like the worst. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, but this is what it was. It was one of those backpacks that I opened it, and it uh -huh. was a it was a shovel that you can take apart and put together. It's like great for 
snow and what? That's what? Out. How did this happen? I don't know. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> Tell me. We're doing one of the interviews, and you're like, oh, look, everyone's got the same hoodie on. They look so comfortable. And blah, blah. I was like, we got to take care of Sylvie on this. I was like, all right, let's take care <laughs> of Sylvie. So we're getting the care package, and you know you have COVID. We're like, oh, we really got to make sure she gets it. This sounds like a major fulfillment error. I don't know <laughs> what happened here, but yes. apparently you can sometimes accidentally send someone a shovel <laughs> when you're trying to send them a sweatshirt. I am perplexed. I feel like we have to get to the bottom of this. Okay. Well, Stay tuned. Yes. And I'm going to make sure that we get you the good swag. Do not worry. Thanks, Savage. Speaking of people who make great products, let's talk yes. about Jesse and our guest yes. today. Yes. Yes. So Jesse is the co-founder and CEO of Picky Bars. They're a real food organic energy bar that his wife, Lauren Fleshman, created for him because he was having some digestive issues when he was doing a lot of extreme training. And I think he said something he was eating, what, 7,000 calories a day or something insane like that? I think like he that? said like, yeah, like four to six. You went, you rounded up. You went up. I always one. round up. I always round you up. You always round up. Yeah. <laughs> and Jesse's an amazing athlete. They've built a, a great company that has really strong values, has made a great product. And it was really exciting to sit down with him and hear about how they've been managing this major transition over the last year with dealing with the pandemic and their direct-to-consumer business, but also hearing about how they've capitalized the business, what they're trying to build for in the future, and I think is another great story about like building a company doesn't just have to be about making money. There's other things you can do. And really, they just make they make great stuff over there. I'm a subscriber of the... I'm in the Picky Club myself. I think I need to get into the Picky Club. Got to get I'm into ready. it. All right, I'm let's ready. jump into that interview with Jesse. Close enough. Wow. <laughs> they'll, they'll fix it in post, I think. <laughs> Jesse, how are you? Thank you for being here today. Yeah, thanks a lot. I'm I'm uh, doing great. I really appreciate you guys taking some time to chat with me. Well, we appreciate you taking time to <laughs> chat with us. But for those of us who know, who who is Jesse Thomas? Who are you? What do you do? Oh, you know, I'm just a guy in Central Oregon, just living his life, trying to <laughs> navigate this <laughs> navigate this crazy world. I am a uh, top line. Uh, I'm a husband, dad. I am an ex-professional triathlete now. Um, retired about officially about a year ago, and I am the CEO and co-founder of a real food snacks company called Picky Bars, based in Bend. Amazing. My understanding is that you're also a river surfer. Is that correct? Ah, yes. Yeah. Yesterday. So I live on the river in Bend. Bend is a okay. beautiful spot for people that haven't heard of it, although it seems like most people have nowadays. It's out in Oregon, central Oregon. It's like a high mountain town. There's a beautiful river that goes through it. I live right on the river, and just about 400 meters up river from me is a man-made surf wave that just runs oh. year-round. And it's a amazing natural resource to have. I mean, it's like super lucky. It's also a massive tease because we have this amazing wave, but it's almost always just packed. Like, okay. you know, with 10 people to 15, surfing it. Yeah. 10 to 15, you know, men and women lined up and then like people on the side of the river waiting. So it's, it's like this cool resource that I'm always like, oh, just not worth my time to go out there and surf on. But it snowed <laughs> snowed like 14 inches here a couple days ago. <laughs> and so there weren't too many people out on the wave. So yeah, I went out yesterday and I had a nice little session uh, to myself for probably 20 minutes and then with just a couple other uh, guys for about another half hour after that. It was really nice. This isn't that's, the same. It's not the same spot where like people windsurf. Isn't there like another no, that's, spot? No, that's Northern Oregon. Yeah, that's that's the gorge. Yeah. Okay. Um, that, that's the Columbia River. This is more like high mountain you know, we're, we're, you're just surfing on the flow of the river backed up to a, uh, like a mechanical kind of wall that they've built into the water. And so oh, wow. if you guys have ever seen like those wave machines that they have on like mm -hmm, cruise mm -hmm. boats or whatever, it's like that, but it's just river water um, coming down and, and you just surf it continuously. Or, well, wow. or, for, or if you're me for about 18 seconds until you crash. This is Cruise like boats. Meryl yeah. Streep action movie level. It's it's really fun. It, it it's 
it's an amazing resource, like I said, to have here in town and just, just right up the street from my place. I, I grew up here. I grew up playing around in, um, you know, in the mountains, on the trails. That's where I learned to run and ride my bike. I am definitely here because it's an active and amazing place to be outside. And that's what I love to do. I mean, to continue the activities, it seems like you have a climbing wall behind you. Is that right? <laughs> I do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Inside your kitchen? Are we in your kitchen? Where are we? No, we're in what I call the playhouse right now, which <laughs> oh is... Oh, we, we don't... The playhouse is really pretentious <laughs> sounding. <laughs> um, we, we're not of the means to have a separate playhouse. We co-own this property in Bend with my mom that we bought... Uh, like 10 years ago, where we bought it 70-30. In Bend, there's all these properties that have, for, for some reason, that are like 100 years old that have two really small buildings on them. And so this house, we live primarily in a 1,000-square-foot house that we bought on the 70% side. And then this one that you were in here that you guys see me that I'm recording this in is uh, like a 700 square foot, like I said, like a hundred year old home that we rent from my mom for my office. Wow. I still have a room back there that has all my exercise equipment and stuff. But yeah, during the pandemic, you know, you're just like, I've got kids that are three and seven. And so in the first four weeks of the pandemic, I built a huge fort outside of, in our backyard out of, entirely out of P Picky Bar's pallets. And then, um, and then just about six months ago or four months ago, I built this because the kids needed to be inside and they just need something to do. They're driving this me crazy. This being a, a climbing wall. Yeah, this like, climbing I don't wall. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. That, what do you got on there? Like V3s? What are they working with? V0s? <laughs> what, what are these kids doing? Are they belaying? It's all Jude yeah. and I, my son, my son and I, we, we've already got like kind of records for traversing side to side using only mm -hmm. certain colors, you know? So. Whoa. You do whatever you can, but what, what's ironic, <laughs> I'll show this to you guys. What's ironic is I built, I spent a lot of time, as you can imagine, building this rock climbing <laughs> wall, <laughs> you, it's, which is something you have in the pandemic with your kids. Mm -hmm. But you can, you might be able to see just that that little like a swing thing that's hanging right there, and there's another mm -hmm. one that you can't quite see. But those things were like $5 and took me like, eight minutes to hang up and they're really the only things that the kids play with. <laughs> <laughs> this is pretty standard. Uh, that's how it goes, I think, yeah, right? We totally. have our, our big yeah. plans and then they get blown yeah. up. Yeah, I spent 25 hours building the rock wall and they're like, oh, maybe, I don't know, dads. I'd rather play on this little swing. <laughs> so look, let's talk about Piggy Bars. I, yeah. I'm a big Piggy Bars fan. I get the, the box every month and... Do you really? I, yes, oh, I do. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. Oh, fantastic. And they that's just great. they just get gobbled up around here. They disappear. <laughs> what is your most popular flavor? I gotta know. The most popular, kind of far and away, is off fudge nuts, which is the <laughs> chocolate peanut butter one. Delicious. Yeah. You know, I have found out since I've been in the food industry now that's pretty standard. Like everybody's top flavor is like. Chocolate peanut butter can't go wrong. Yeah, like it's, it's like just, as close as possible to yeah. like a, a, Reese's a Reese's peanut butter cup, and it's just like let's just get there, like yeah, whatever it exactly. is, exactly, <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> Undisputed champion since it launched. It wasn't one of the original flavors, but it was one of the early flavors within a year or two after we launched, and and it's been it's been the champ. But we have a new contender mm. that has that has risen in the last um, since October. In October, we had our 10th anniversary, which we had, like everybody else, big plans to have a huge party around that mm -hmm. got canceled. But what we did end up doing was we've had nine bar flavors for a really long time. The last time we launched a new bar, because we've been launching new products like granola and oatmeal and, and, and a number of other things. Last time we launched a new bar was maybe four or five years ago. And so we launched our 10th bar for the 10-year anniversary, and that's a mint chocolate bar. It's called Mint Condition. Have you tried that? Have you? You have probably have tried it. I have had it, yes. Oh, it's you have? Good. Okay, yeah, yes. yeah. It's actually my favorite bar now, too. So. It's refreshing. It's a very refreshing <laughs> bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a palate cleanser. <laughs> so, yeah. So you were a triathlete. Yep. My understanding is that, like, is this true the first time you were in, like, a major race, like, you didn't plan to be in it? and then crushed it or something like that? 
Uh, yeah, that's mostly true. <laughs> that's mostly so true. So I've asked, can you tell that? Yeah. St- I, I mean, I just heard, I heard rumblings of this. Yeah. So the story goes, I turned pro in, uh, 2011 and a couple months after that, I signed up to do my first pro half Ironman in Texas and I made a bunch of mistakes that, you know, rookie triathletes do. I like changed my bike around the night before the race and like did all this stuff. Long story short, I ended up having massive cramps on the run and dropped out. And so I flew all the way to Texas, had this huge, Ouch. you know, big debut thing and I dropped out of the race. Okay. And so Mike, as I was kind of like, you know, basically being like, what am I doing? Blah, blah, blah. This is a huge waste of my time. I don't really know what I, you know, what am I trying to be a professional triathlete for? My buddy here in Bend is like, hey, I'm headed down to this race called Wildflower. It's in two weeks. Why don't you come race it? He really just wanted me to join him because he wanted somebody to help him drive his van. That sounds <laughs> right? about right. Yeah. And then, just so, help me get down there, please. Yeah, I'm totally. sure you'll like He's the like, race. You should, you should yeah. race. It would be yeah. great for you. But I need yeah. a driver. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> So they let me into the race. I was a super late entry. So uh, I slept like on the ground in this like little cabin that that they had already gotten there. And then um, I entered. It was funny because because I'd entered late. I got this like start number that was they they reserved the first fifty numbers for the pro men and then the next 30 for the pro women. And then they just gave me like number 87 because that was like the next thing that they had. So it's like this random number, but yeah, long story short, I ended up having this kind of spectacular, amazing day where it was a really big historic race. And throughout the course of the day, had a great swim, had a great bike ride. I came off the bike in 10th place and I was like, so psyched. I was like, oh, if I just hang on, I'm going to get 10th place at Wildflower Triathlon. And then every guy that I passed as I kept going was like, wow, ninth, seventh, sixth. Oh my gosh, I'm in the top five. And it was just, (laughs) it was like living this dream throughout the half uh, marathon. And then, yeah, crawled up in and I saw the, the leading guy with, like a mile to go and I passed him with maybe half a mile to go and wow. ran into oh to the God. win and um, just shocked myself and everybody else. And the story that I tell is when I crossed the finish line, because the, the, the race was being kind of followed on social media people were like who's this guy like he's he's unmarked he has like a number that like we don't even know what his name is his number doesn't even he's a lost age grouper he he cut the course you know so i'm like i have i have curly hair and um can can get darker ish in in the summertime and so, so people thought i was like some like you know south american uh dude that was out there like you know didn't know where he was going and so um so anyway but i crossed the finish line and and the announcer goes and here he is our men's professional winner and then he held the microphone over to the side and he was like dude what is your name <laughs> <laughs> that's and, amazing yeah yeah, it ended up being this legitimately cool, like authentic, like looking back on it from a marketing standpoint, right? With putting the marketing cap on, um, a amazing, authentic story to launch my career on. Because I had I was completely unbranded, unsponsored, and then I happened to be wearing these really cr- like you know ten dollar gas station aviators um, mm. during the run, and then. They interviewed me on YouTube and I was so effusive, you know, I was just like, I was, it was like I was at Disneyland and it just became this little like, you know, clip that got shared around and, and launched my career as kind of the everyman triathlete guy. So it was really amazing and ridiculous. I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So you're basically, you've won, you've got the aviators. You didn't expect it. You slept on the ground. Everyone tells me you're supposed to get really good sleep before you work out, but apparently you don't need it. (laughs) So I know that led into starting picky bars. So how did that, is it just like looking for the ultimate, like healthy vert or not even healthy, like the right, like performance bar. Like this is like, I'm very interested in this because it seems like, one, it's just such a crowded space that you're in. Yeah. <laughs> Two, you've you've actually built something that's different and that is really good. Thank you. And it seems like it's like fits beautifully with like it would be a dream for a, a company making an energy bar to have someone be the lead, you know, 
the lead athlete that they're sponsoring, who's just uh, the everyman who wins the try. So how did the, how did this come up? Did you win? You that I should make a bar? What happened? No, we started. It was actually we started making the bars the fall prior to that. It, but it, but it was the reason Lauren, my wife, uh, started making the bars with with our other co-founder Steph, who who is one of her best friends, was out of my triathlon training, and so it, it was basically. I finished business school, you know, without going into my background, I was—I had kind of been uh, an athlete, obviously, but then had taken about a seven to eight year break to do business school in a tech startup and was just like burnt and needed a break. It was the collapse of the economy, like 2009, you know, MBAs were a dime a dozen. I was basically like, I'm just going to start training and race triathlon while I consult on the side and just see what happens. And so I was eating four to 6,000 calories a day and yeah. having a whole bunch of stomach issues that Lauren was heavily incentivized to um, <laughs> fix being my, you know, new wife at the time. And so, yeah, so she started making an energy bar for me. And that was, that was really how it started. It was trying to combine real food ingredients with like sports performance, nutritional principles, you know, that's like easy on your gut. And so that was a picky bar and, and then picky bars really like grew simultaneously while my career grew. And also while it was really heavily more influenced in the early days by Lauren's career. So my, my wife is a professional distance runner who was really at like the peak of her career around the, in the early 2010s. And, and where is picky bars now? Like what's the scale of the business yeah, that's happening? We're, I don't mind sharing numbers with people. I, I feel, you know, it's not a big deal, but I, I don't know why everyone's so secretive with everything, but we just eclipsed $4 million last year in revenue. We're all in the U S it's what's really unique about our business is that we're 90% direct to consumer, which is a really, it's a pretty big number on the direct to consumer side versus the vast majority of our competitors. We have 10 employees. We're here in bend. We contract manufacture all, all of our products to, uh, about four different facilities in the Pacific Northwest. And then we fulfill, we still fulfill all of our shipments here in house out of Bend because that's a big part of our, I wouldn't call it like secret sauce, but like uh, it's like a core competency that we have to have because of the complexity of the direct to consumer subscription service that you talked about, the Picky Club. It's interesting to me because I feel like I've, I've talked to, I don't know, I feel like it's come up a lot that someone has an idea for like a new type of food or a new mm -hmm. type of drink or a new type of anything yep. that's like a consumer good. Yep. And then a lot of people have those ideas and almost no one turns them into like reality. Right. How do you even decide to figure out like, all right, how, who's going to make this? And like, do you go and source like each ingredient yourselves and, and then like bring it to someone who makes it and then... I think what you're saying is that you end up with all these finished bars and then you're actually saying like who gets what and cuz it's all totally the piggy club is totally custom, right? Yep, yep, the piggy club is yeah. So there there's a number of different steps and you know, no pun intended, it happened very organically. I mean, like you said, <laughs> we don't <laughs> oh, that we, was Yeah, you like that? I know. Too good. It's a dad too pun. Good. I know. It's, I'm just slowly becoming my dad that the hairy chest is also happening in the same time <laughs> that it was happening with him while I was growing up. So, um, you know, when we started, like you said, it, it was not, it's not a great business to get into, <laughs> to be perfectly <laughs> honest. And I, I would strongly discourage people from getting into the food business, to be honest. Uh, our, our ace in the hole was that we didn't get into it as a means to create a business that was going to be successful. We just made it for ourselves. And then the, the second Really, really like the big leg up that we had was that it was just a side project for years and years and years. And we didn't need income from it. We were all racing professionally. And then as the double whammy from that, we could market it directly to our fan base through social mm -hmm. media, which is really something that only started existing around 2010 when we started. And so we had basically this like really slow build where we could make, we could like slowly grow sales 
without any expectation of return, paying ourselves. We hadn't raised any money. And then we got it to a point where, you know, where we could have a more legitimate business and then, and then things started to accelerate. But in terms of making it at the beginning, it's just, you get a home kitchen license. This is something that happens in, that's I think semi unique to Oregon. I do think there are some Mm. other states that do this, but Oregon allows you to certify your home kitchen uh, following a certain number of rules to sell a product commercially. So we did that. We did that for about a year and a half where we had at the peak, we were making 15,000 bars a month in our home kitchen in Springfield. Wow. Damn. Oh my um, gosh. (laughs) At the peak, we had eight production staff um, students from University of Oregon because we were in Eugene at the time and they would come in in four-hour shifts 40 hours a week. Into your house. Was yeah, that just literally like, yeah. into my house. And did you have the time? Did they clock their like a time yes. card and yeah, stuff? Yeah, totally. It was really? So, yes, totally. I mean, it was like, oh, no joke. It was, it was, it was hilarious. Like <laughs> the anecdote I tell people is that like, if I got up and like went into my kitchen to like make a bowl of cereal or whatever after eight o'clock, <laughs> you know, there were like four <laughs> University of Oregon students in there like, good morning, Mr. Thomas. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Yeah, so that was it. And then the next big stage was, like you said, getting getting to the point where we had enough demand. The the big tipping point for food companies is like where where do you hit enough demand to go to a a manufacturer that can make it for you with real equipment? And that's a big jump usually. And we were really lucky in that we found a manufacturer that was willing to make really low minimum order quantities for us because they were just getting in to contract manufacturing. Like the standard now for like an energy bar would be like 50 to 100,000 units a flavor is your, is your minimum order quantity. So you have to be selling a lot to make that investment, you know? That's where we... You know, we really took this, like I said, this low, slow, gradual thing into it. So, but it's yeah, but it's a very cool story because I think there's a, there's a lot of stuff in there that I, that really resonates with me, um, in especially in the market and tech of like where I where yes. I am and what I think about, like the basically having the audience and yeah. the direct connection to the audience and saying like you know, okay, I have a direct relationship with them. They trust me. They understand me. I'm going to tell them about what I'm doing. I'm going to be transparent about it. If they like it, they dig it. They're going to you have this like amazing ability to not have to have a storefront, but, yeah. but have people keep coming back. Right. And like, then the second thing is like this subscription businesses do take a long time. I mean, I've been doing yeah. Wistia 14 years. We're a subscription business right. and it took a long time for the things to compound and compound and then get to the leverage point of like, Oh, we can have more people. They're not coming into my house in the middle of the night. Yeah, you know, yeah exactly. For, but it was for us. Like my first meetings were in the living room of this 10 person house. We were yep. At. Yep, and totally. I remember when we were trying to raise money, which I want to get into with you. I know you just yeah. have a bunch of interesting stuff there. And I remember people co- we were doing pitches in our living room, and there's like yeah. other roommates walking around. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, you think you're going to have, you know, a conference room and like all this stuff to like look like professional, and then the reality is like, that's not how it works. Yeah. It's just like hard work, right? Yeah, and so it's exactly. it's really cool to hear that. That's probably still impacts your culture today when you talk about the fulfillment. I imagine. What it makes me think of is like I, I imagine what's going to the boxes, and I know this having received some, that like it's not necessarily only what you've ordered. There's like other things. Like I think I got a holiday card from you all and like yeah. all this other stuff. And which is so cool because I'm sure when you were small you did that. And yep. then if you were to outsource the whole thing, it wouldn't happen. Yep, exactly. That's exactly it. Like that being that last touch point um, prior to the cus- customer, I think is a really, like I said, it's a core competency. It's a really important part of the business. Yeah. That we just, I just don't feel like we can outsource that and maintain the same amount of like customer service level. So. Cause it's also your brands. Like it's, it's, it's yeah. your brand, right? And it's it really Lauren's brand. Yep. And so it's like you as people are picky bars. And yep. so it's like, obviously if you deliver on that it makes a huge, huge yeah. impact and how much people are going to talk about it. And yeah. Do all of these things, right? You have to differentiate yourself. I mean, you guys know, you know, like I said, it's a terrible category to be in. There's a billion different <laughs> brands out there. You have to differentiate yourself somehow. And I don't think anyone, any brand can really say that they're differentiated from like a product standpoint. You know, it's it really is like the branding, the communication, the message, like how, how do people feel about the products, you know? 
Yeah. And that's, that's getting more important. Yeah. I I totally agree. Yeah. And I I think it's also interesting because I, I feel like it's harder for companies to have a meaningful brand. Like it used to be like the, the big, B2C brands would like quote unquote take risks and like Coke's taking a risk. Oh, right. Pepsi, they're taking a, like, yeah, yeah. And now so much of it is transitioning back towards like the people yes. who are there and their values. Yeah. I, agree. I wonder if we're actually at the beginning of something with like the people in a company, the people in a brand being the key thing that, that everyone has a relationship with, which of course you look at endorsements of athletes. At like that's it's existed for a long time, but it was out of touch for like the average business because we had no distribution ourselves. Like we couldn't talk to the customer ourselves. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, I think so. I I totally agree. I mean, I think social media has changed. You know, or you know, the fragmentation of media in general has changed all of that. It's it's allowed a random founder or owner or whatever to become to be a personality, whereas yeah. before that you you couldn't really do that. There what there wasn't enough context. So yeah, and I, I think we were, you know, Lauren and I not not and Steph not out of any, you know, amazing intellect or decision making. We're just lucky to be in the right place at the right time for when all that started. And we had this connection to our customer, and we're like, oh yeah, we'll make an energy bar, and oh yeah, you know what? You're interested in buying it? Sure, we'll sell it. We'll set, put up a website, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's very cool. And now we're seeing, you know, more and more. I mean, I, you know, I think just what you said, more and more. Brands are going to be direct to consumer and they're going to be led by a celebrity or a figurehead or whatever that, that just leverages that audience. I mean, we've already seen a ton of that recently, but in, in for good and for bad. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. No, it is. It is. Yeah. For good and for bad. Let's say that. I think there's a good side and there's an opportunity side. I also think you deserve credit for like staying with it, right? Like you say it's a hard business, but also if, if Picky Bars is still growing in 10 years, which hopefully it is, it's going to be a pretty big business. And you're like, well, well, yeah, it's a hard business to get to, but we stuck with it. it we put our values out there. People connected with us. Yep. We inspired a generation of people who care about, you know, running. They care about triathlons. They care about like eating the right stuff is a, is a very cool thing to be doing. Yeah, thank you. It hasn't been, you know, without its ups and downs for sure, but but yeah, it's been it's been a fun time. So this show is called Talking Too Loud. Yeah. Obviously, I I talk too loud all the time whenever <laughs> I get excited. I try to only do things that, that get me excited. I try not to do things that are bummers. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I like to ask the guests, like, what, you know, what's got you talking too loud right now? What's got what's got you excited today, Jesse? Yeah, I mean, I think with uh, you know, with picky bars in particular, the the thing that's got me talking too loud is is our recent fundraising activity and the change that that is having and, and isn't having on the business. You know, the super high level story of it is we raised two million bucks last fall, closed October first, which was our first ever external oh, wow. capital in the company ever. So we had compl- cool. we had bootstrapped it for. literally almost exactly 10 years prior to prior to that point and um you know we went through gosh a lot of internal discussion and thinking you know whether or not we wanted to do that and why and we we'd certainly we'd certainly had offers and interests before that we had that we had turned down but for a number of different reasons felt like it was the right time to do that now we've done it and now i'm you know, figuring out what we're supposed to do now that we've done it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, did you did you raise the money, the two million, f- with like a specific specific things you wanted to spend the money on, or is there like, you know, tell t- walk me through that? Yeah, yeah, we did. So there's a little bit of history in the company that makes this a little bit more relevant. That I'll say real quick. So prior to 2017. Picky Bars had pretty much been like break even as a company. So not a lot of money in, not a lot of money out. And then in 2017, we started to have some supply chain issues and and cost of goods sold issues, basically. And we lost a little bit of money. And we were also rebounding from this crazy 2016 where we had 
gotten into Trader Joe's for like six months. Oh, wow. Had ramped up like we were going to be 1 million to 8 million. Oh, wow. In terms of our production and financing and even our staff. And then oh, got wow. cut by Trader Joe's. What? Six or eight months into it. And then came all the way crashing back down to like a $2 million company. So we were kind of like reeling from that financially and operationally. We were overstaffed. Like th these are all things that I look back at now. I'm like 2020 vision, right? But at the time yeah. I'm like, okay, you know, we'll bounce back. Everything will be good, guys. <laughs> like, don't, don't worry about it. That wasn't that big a deal. Um, and, and, you, and you also have to remember, you know, you also have to remember that I also won my first Ironman at the end of 2015, raced the Ironman World Championships in 2016, and then won a huge Ironman in 2016. So I was, I, was, I guess, long story short, I was at the peak of my athletic career during yeah. that time. So very distracted and, uh, you know, not super focused on the business. So long story short, 2017, we're overstaffed and we have some production problems. We lose a little bit of money, but I'm like, okay, no big deal. Like, you know, we'll kind of rebound in 2018. 2018, we it looks like things are going well and we have this and we're, we're growing. So we move out of this contract manufacturing situation where we're in to go to a bigger contract manufacturer. Problem was when we did that, we did a huge run of product with the old contract manufacturer to give us plenty of time to get up and running with the new contract mm. manufacturer. That huge run of product ended up being bad. Oh boy. And so we ended up not being able to sell that product and then being basically out of stock for like two, two and a half months during the peak of the summer. Oh boy. And the company... This was also during my last massive professional race. So I was, I literally finished this Ironman in Germany where I had like a career day and finished it at 3 p.m. And then at 2 a.m., I was on the phone with our new contract manufacturer trying to get them to like run product for us because we were like out of stock and we were the sh Damn. was hitting the fan basically. So this is, I'm sorry about the long story, long story intro, no, it's but the reason that all this <clears throat> matters to the fundraising is that in 2018, we ended up losing like a few hundred thousand bucks and the company is owned by Lauren and I, and we are not wealthy people. And that was all of our money <laughs> basically. Oh, and so as entrepreneurs, that gets, that's really, really, really scary. You know, be, before you know scary. it, the, the tail is wagging the dog. Like the company had become big enough that like these slides financially were bigger than like our finances could handle. Because is the, is the company an LLC? Yes. Or an S corp? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah it was an S corp. Yeah, at that time. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, so it passes through to us. And yeah. so we, so. The good and the bad passes exactly. through. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. So that started my whole transition from being a professional triathlete to being a professional CEO, more or less, where I'm like, hey, I've got to start focusing on this thing because it's getting nasty. And I started looking around for money because we just flat out needed it at that point. Um, I thought we were on the brink of, of the end. And um, luckily, we pulled ourselves out of that but through that process, I kind of slowly started to figure out, you know, what we really wanted from the business long term. And that set up the whole idea of like, you know, hey, why are we going to raise money and what are we going to do? And the, and the reasons behind that, just to say, were we definitely wanted to decrease our own personal financial risk. Right. That was that was like a huge goal, a huge primary reason. And then the other thing that we realized was that. I don't necessarily, and particularly Lauren, but even me, don't want to own and run picky bars for like the rest of our lives. And th those were the two important decisions. And then that set up this like, hey, let's find a partner that can help us de-risk financially and that can then also help us like have a clear aim to some type of exit, you know? And that was the process that we went through. Yeah, that's an amazing story. Yeah. And I think it's like, you know, as you're telling that story, it's so it's so intertwined with 
you guys. Yes. Right. It's like it's it's so intertwined with you, and it's so personal. And it I, is. I feel like it's it's one of the things that so many companies get wrong is when they don't like recognize that their business. Like it can be the structure, like in this case, the S corp, yep. right? Like that passes through to you or not, but also just like your life is very intertwined. Yes. Um, that's how it goes. It's, there's no other way. Uh, if you're working on anything that's hard, anything that's meaningful, like it, it takes a lot. And that recognizing like what you want in your life is actually what you need to, how you need to think about what you need in the business. It really is. Yeah. It's really cool to hear that story. And I mean, you must feel pretty good now. Yeah, I feel a lot better now. You know, I mean, I think my wife and I co-owning it is not easy. <laughs> yeah. You know, and <laughs> just um, throw that in the marriage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we own a business too. Oh, it's know, killing our that, finances. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, late 2018, early 2019. I mean, that was that was tough. You know, we also had our second kid and I mean, it was it was a tough time, you know. So there's a lot of pressure on the business that way. What we, what we ended up eventually finding, I turned down a couple deals that were kind of like bailout deals that really undervalued the business. So I'm glad that I did that, that I had enough confidence to say, let's wait, let's turn things around a little bit. And then late last year or middle last year, basically started looking for people that really wanted to invest in it because it was doing well, which it really was. Mm -hmm. And I got a great valuation, but more importantly, got partners that really aligned with our strategic plan, which was direct to consumer focus, keeping it really, keeping us really connected to the customer and then building towards an exit that would ideally be local and here and like continue to invest in Bend and focused on that as opposed to like the biggest, greatest number. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's and, interesting. So you're, yeah. you're saying that like when you raised this money with this $2 million mm -hmm. and you're bringing it in, you're telling everyone like, okay, we think that there's, obviously we can grow the business. That's why we're raising the money. Yep. We're growing well. I assume that with the pandemic and everyone shopping online, probably the direct-to-consumer subscriptions yep. did pretty well. Did well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yep. But then you're also kind of saying there's other constraints on this, which is, I mean, I guess maybe you already know who you want to sell it to or you're thinking about who you want to sell it to, but that part of it is going to be that the gravity of this, when it enters its next stage, is still local to you. Yeah, that's that. I mean, that is definitely the goal, you know? And we have a couple, in, we're luckily in Bend, we have a couple cool kind of uh, instances of that happening recently where a company called Hydroflask that makes the double insulated mm -hmm. kind of cool water bottles that was run by a friend of mine was sold to Helen of Troy. They invested a bunch of money in Ben to keep the headquarters here and keep people employed here and grow the business here. And the same thing happened with a, with a microbrewery called Tin Barrel that was acquired by InBev. So there's a little bit of precedence partially because of the brand connotations that come from being a company out of this little town in central Oregon that has a lot going for it. So I, I that's, that's kind of my, that's my hope. And, but a, a big part of that too, is just related to the plan, which is a more, it's a more moderate growth plan, right? Where focused on direct to consumer, the numbers are not as big as the other investors that I talked to that really want to take big risks in distribution, blow it out, run huge losses up to a really big revenue number. It's a more like, hey, we're going to actually try to run this thing pretty break even. We've got some cash to throw on to, to fuel investments that we see are working on like customer acquisition and, and direct to consumer stuff. And we're going to try to get it to, you know, a $15 million number and see what we can do there um, for a bigger company. So that's awesome. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it also strikes me that like a lot of the decisions you've made are not just optimizing for liquidity value, right? You're not just, yeah. you're not optimizing for the most valuable company at the end of the day or the most money, no. which it's something we've actually talked a lot about on Talking Too Loud because we've had a lot of people who are here, and I would put Wistia right this category of like thinking about conscious capitalism, yep. like that there's there's more than just revenue. There's like a lot of other stakeholders. There's the community. There's the team experience. There's the customer experience. There's all these things, 
And you've also made a lot of really, I think, great decisions in really hard times. That's what it seems like to me. You know, I have not had to face the thing you've had to face of, oh, the business is doing worse. Now it's my direct finances. We're a C-Corp. Right. I've, I've had to face moments where I was like, oh, God, like, I don't know if we're going to pull this out and this right. thing might die. Yeah. Um, of course, been there. I've <laughs> yep. run out of money. Yeah, totally. Oh, don't get me wrong. I've run out of money. <laughs> totally. What advice do you have for listeners? There's a lot of entrepreneurs that listen. There's a lot of investors that listen, a lot of marketers. What advice do you have for those folks who are trying to figure out how to navigate the hard decisions in their businesses? Oh, man. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of it comes down to, you know, this is business 101, but just your your core values, right? And trying to trying to be really clear about what it is that's important to you personally, I think, which then really becomes reflected in the business. I mean, every business is a reflection of its founders and, and owners, you know, and, um, just like you said, it's never been about making a whole bunch of money for us. We're really lucky. We're really privileged, you know, is the appro is the appropriate word. We haven't had to make a lot of money it, both through the business and just in general. So for us, it's, it's a tool for, connecting with people, hopefully propagating positive messages around healthy eating habits and, and exercise habits and, and more generally like work-life balance habits. That's what the whole point of our podcast is and a lot of our messaging. And then hopefully having a positive impact on our communities here in Bend and the larger kind of endurance sports community. And then I think like a lot of other companies that have, you know, been awoken over the last uh, year or two, having, you know, a good impact on underprivileged and underserved communities as well. Those are areas that we're, they're important. And then those things ultimately should roll up into some type of strategic plan. Like here's the what, here's the why, right? And this is, here's the why. And then the goals come out of that, you know? So, yeah, that's what we do. Jesse, thank you so much for being here. I'm a huge fan, a huge fan of Picky Bars. Love them. If you're listening, you got to get in the <laughs> subscription, okay, everyone? Very thank important. You. It's a great post-workout, delicious, uh, delicious Are you thing. Ready? I also Are think you ready to try a triathlon? Me? Yeah. Uh, no. Thank you. No thanks. Last time I was did a competition like that was not Maybe good. after mint condition. Maybe after like your next your yeah. next round of picky you'll, bars. You'll feel lots of energy. Yeah. yeah, Jesse, you can help coach me through that, right? It's perfect. It's no problem. Help Drive me get over on my is not that big a deal. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but seriously, thanks for being here. We really enjoyed yeah. it. And thank you. Hope to see you soon. Thanks a lot, you guys, for having me. I really appreciate it. It was, it was fun to chat. Man, Jesse's just such a, he seems like such a good person. So, so I easy to talk to, same, so fun. Right? Like, you want him at a dinner party? You want yeah. him to, like, coach you in life, maybe? Yes, yes. Yeah. He, he seems like maybe he should be a life coach. Life coach. For, yeah, maybe. Maybe coaching is in his future. Maybe. We just predicted it. Yes. How did you feel when he was talking about all his like his exercise routines and Oh, that was you, great. Like, you know, and yeah. I, I loved I was jealous seeing the rock climbing wall. You know, I, I thought so. I thought I you used, might be. Yes, used to climb before the pandemic. So it was exciting to see that and hilarious that his kids won't touch it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Which I completely understand. Like, here, let me do all this hard work. They're going to get such great exercise. They're going to love being all over this thing. I'm going to be so proud of them. They're going to be sending V4s in a second. And then, no, no, dad, I just want to hang on those rings. I just want to go on the like swing. like the rings. Yeah. They're like, look, I get it. When you're a kid, swinging is great. Swinging, swinging is, is, great. is great. Swinging is great. Yeah. And also cool. I mean, I didn't know the story of how they, you know, they raised that money. And actually their plan is like, okay. We've seen the ups of this, but we've seen the downside of of running a business too. And like, we want to get ourselves in a path where this thing can live on. It could be a part of our community, but it's not us, you know, facing the personal risks here. And that's something that like most people don't talk about. That most most people think that stuff and deal with it in their lives, but they don't share that with the public. I was gonna <laughs> ask. That seemed like that seemed novel to be like talking about that. Like, yeah, we have an exit strategy. I was like, whoa. Yeah, and that they're not trying to say like, all right, we need to get to 
200 a million in revenue a year and then we're going to exit it's going to be insane and blah 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 he's like no i just we need to get to 15 we're at four and we think when we get there it'll be a really good place and we'll actually like keep the jobs here it's a lot of like planning around his community which i thought was really yeah, cool and, and yes very human and like nice to be brought into that i think we should go to bend i think we we should go to bend oregon Oregon, Oregon. I think Oregon. Yeah, it? Oregon. Oregon. Um, it sounds like like <laughs> Oregon. Surf that river. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I'm glad he he mentioned that. I had um, I had friends who had been surfing on that river, and I was like, I don't believe you. Really? I don't believe that this exists. Yeah. And I went to the other place, the windsurfing place, mm-hmm. which was wild. You did that? I tri- <laughs> tried. Tried. You've been to Oregon? Yeah. Wow. A couple times. Great. You've never been? I've been. <laughs> Silent Adam's Silent never Adam's been, no. Never Silent been. Adam, I'm He's pretty never. sure, has never, ever been. He's never been there. Yeah. Never have I ever been to Oregon. But- <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know what this means? When you're spending this much time talking about Oregon, the episode's over. So I, I think we need to go, <laughs> Sylvie. <laughs> I think you're right, Savage. But before we go, we want to thank you for listening. We also really appreciate your feedback. So if you have feedback on the show, if you have rants, if you have requests, if you have questions, email us at ttlpod at wistia.com. And if you like the show, rate it. Rate it and review it uh, where you listen. It really helps us find new people like you who might like the show. So we'd, we'd love for you to do that. And don't forget about all the other amazing content coming from Wistia Studios. Got a lot of new stuff coming out. Head to wistia.com. And of course, this is the end. So we'll see see you next time. (laughs) Nailed it. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia, hosted by Chris Savage, produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Grant Cutler. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.